0: It's Tuesday, January 30th, 2024, from Peachfish Productions. It's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. So, whenever a business expands and franchises, they always face a conundrum. How can you keep the original potency of the brand if you outsource the brand, the business, to newcomers who might not have been there at the beginning, who might not have the same ethic of care and attention? I speak, of course, of the squad. The original AOC, Presley, Omar, talib they've come in for criticism, you may have noticed, and a few formal complaints have been filed against them, but whatever probes they've been subject to haven't stuck. And while I criticize their positions, I do think AOC is an excellent communicator, very sharp, a fierce advocate for her position. I have no reason to think that she, Presley, or Talib are corrupt. And I have no reason to think Elon Omar is corrupt, but she has been subject to some more investigations than the rest, but she's been cleared anyway. Then there's the question of new membership. Jake Sherman of Punchbowl News today reporting the Justice Department is conducting a criminal probe into Corey Bush. According to six sources familiar with the investigation, the Justice Department subpoenaed the House Sergeant-at-Arms for records relating to the misspending of federal security money. Bush herself addressed the issue today.
1: I retained my husband as part of my security team to provide security services because he has had extensive experience in this area and is able to provide the necessary services at or or below fair market rate.
0: Paying a family member, even for necessary services, can run afoul of not just rules, but law, election law, and records show her husband was paid over $100,000 over the last two years. On the other hand, and to be very fair, the two didn't marry until this year, they met because he was their security guard, and she does get a lot of death threats, and it's plain to see this this issue has been very popular in the conservative press, as she was sure to note. Then there's Jamal Bowman, the fifth or maybe sixth member of the squad, Squad 1.5. He's been or had been the subject of a House Ethics Committee investigation for pulling a fire alarm. He did plead guilty to a misdemeanor criminal charge, but that was dropped after he complied with the terms of a deferred sentencing agreement. The ethics report, however, by the House Ethics Committee found that Bowman's explanation for pulling the alarm was, quote, less than credible. They didn't pursue charges, as I said, but they, and I will read from the report, by the Ethics Committee, who is made up of three Democrats and three Republicans, they were all unanimous when they found, quote, Rep. Bowman released an official statement where he claimed that he, quote, mistakenly activated the fire alarm, thinking it would open the door, however... OCE, that's the Ethics Committee staff, obtained evidence appearing to contradict Rep Bowman's claim that he mistakenly activated the fire alarm. The quote surveillance video that shows him deliberately pulling the alarm without looking back to see whether the alarm facilitated the opening of the emergency doors, which he said was his purpose. Indeed, this is the report again, Rep. Bowman casually walked away from the secured area upon triggering the fire alarm, appearing seemingly disinterested in actually departing through the exit. Now, I have a critique of this. I would say uninterested, not disinterested, but it goes on. More importantly, at the time of this incident, the House stood adjourned. Rep. Bowman, contrary to statements issued by his office, was en route to an emergency caucus meeting, not to cast an imminent vote. And the report notes all the ways that Bowman failed to tell police officers or anyone in authority, don't worry, that fire alarm that is causing all these evacuations and possibly panic, that was me. I mistakenly triggered the alarm. No cause for alarm, folks. Or rather, I'm the cause for alarm, folks. My bad. Bowman didn't do any of that. But like I say, the Ethics Committee didn't pursue charges other than the censure that the House of Representatives already issued. And there's also a rebuttal overall to my idea that maybe the original squad needs to withhold applications for new members, needs to uh, revamp its vetting procedures for franchisees. Bowman, who faces a serious, moderate challenger in his primary, was cheered on in his launch event last week by none other than... Rep. Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez. Quote, when you stand up to power, power fights back, said the representative, sounding an alarm of her own. Quote, that is what this race is all about. They're trying to make an example of Jamal Bowman. On the show today, well, if you thought the leftmost slice of the Democratic Party is, shall we say, nettlesome, I submit to you every Republican on the House Homeland Security Committee. Impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas because of, well, I will play for you. They're somewhat novel reasons. But first, The Middle is a recently launched public radio show. It's also a podcast. The premise is so insanely ordinary that it is, in fact, in this day and age, quite extraordinary. The Middle is about the middle, the middle of American politics, the middle of America, the middle geographically and the middle politically and the idea that we should find a middle and the man in the middle host Jeremy Hobson joins us next The Middle is a new public radio show, a call-in show, and you're thinking, ooh, that sounds kind of old. No, hear me out. It's kind of radical in just how unradical it is. What The Middle refers to is the middle of the country. I think that was the big selling point. But also the middle politically, the middle ideologically. How do you, how do you get to that mix, host Jeremy Hobson? host of the show, has been thinking about this. want to talk to him about execution and philosophy. Jeremy, welcome to The Gist. Mike, it's great to be here. You, you left out one middle, which is meat in the middle, which is another one
2: that sort of came up as we were building this. Is like, okay, let's say you're not politically middle, you're not geographically middle, you're not philosophically middle, but you actually do want to talk to people that that you don't necessarily agree with and listen to them. That is the meat in the middle definition of the middle.
0: Yeah. The filet mignon, the meat in the middle. It (laughs) used to be the raison d'etre of public radio that even if public radio was skewing to the left, um, or if you, and we would see our demographics of our listeners, that's where they were politically. They definitely had this appetite to know what others were thinking and to have common ground. I see less of that. And I guess you did too, which was maybe one of the reasons why you pitched and, and hosted this show.
2: Yeah, you know, I started in public radio when I was nine years old, uh, hosting a show in Illinois called Treehouse Radio, and I was an intern at All Things Considered when I was 17 in between high school and college for a year, and have been in public radio for, for decades now, and throughout that entire time, it was my belief in my experience that the people I was working with were trying to create an incredible journalistic product that was trusted across the political spectrum, that even if many people that worked in public radio were to the left, that they made an attempt really to try to be as balanced as they could to try to hear different views. And I do think that some of that has been lost in the last several years, certainly. And, um, and I think it's really, a. A failure of public radio to not try to reach everybody, hear from everybody, you know, and and really take that um journalistic ideal of trying to get outside of your own bubble and hear from people who you disagree with and present the facts. I mean, obviously stay factual, but still try to understand that your own bias may mean that you're not really listening to people who you disagree with and make sure that you actually make an attempt to do that. And that's one of the things is like, let's put the power of this program back in the hands of the listeners and let them drive it a little bit more instead of just editors sitting in Washington or something like that. Let's say, okay, let's open the phones and see what people have to say.
0: Right. So you're very good at phrasing this, and that's a great pitch. And it seems the sort of pitch where a reasonable person would say, or even a person who thinks of themselves as, well, no one thinks of themselves as unreasonable, but someone who says, okay, I know I'm ideologically two standard deviations from the norm. They might say, oh yeah, who could disagree with that? But the harder rebuttal to that is it's not about coming together and it's not about depolarization as much as it is the stakes. And we have to be clear about, about the stakes. When you platform, there's a verb, when you platform those you disagree with, you're not just hearing the other side, you're doing something dangerous, you might be contributing to stochastic terrorism, right? These are all phrases I'm sure you've heard. So when when you're greeted with those harsher uh, phrasings of the argument, really, you're going to platform dangerous thoughts? That's what public radio should be doing? Well, how do you answer that? Well. It, I don't think we're platforming dangerous
2: thoughts. I think if you listen to the shows that we've done, you listen to the calls that are coming in, people are actually much more reasonable than we give them credit for. We did a we did a show, it was our third show after we launched in September, and we changed the topic that week because of the uh Hamas attack in Israel. And we said let's do this, the let's do the show about Israel and Gaza. And um My producers were like, oh my God, are you sure you want to do this? This is going to be crazy. You're going to open up the phones and let people talk about this. It's going to be really nuts. I said, Yes, let's figure out a way to ask the questions so that we're not just saying, what do you think? But we're we're actually getting people to to have a reasonable discussion. And we said, What are your questions about the implications of the war in Israel and Gaza for for the region and for the world and for the United States? And the calls we got actually, and now that was early on in the conflict, but the calls we got were really. Very interesting, people obviously passionate, but they wanted to have a discussion about what this was. We've done shows on abortion we've done shows on immigration, big topics that have a lot of heated, passionate people on on both sides, but we 've been able to have a reasonable discussion, so I don't feel like we're platforming people that are crazy on the show um, or, or contributing to, to anything terrible. I think we're giving people a, a, a space for a reasonable conversation, which is something that used to be done more on public radio than it is now.
0: Yes. Oh, no. I mean, I've listened to your show and you're not. But after Donald Trump won the Iowa caucuses, uh, both CNN and a little more ostentatiously MSNBC cut away because he might lie. And there's the platforming bad arguments question. So you wouldn't have done that? Well, I I know you're not covering it live, but in you, you are you going to do segments about the 2024 Republican primary, and then what do you do with the question of airing quotes by Donald Trump?
2: Look, I think you have to provide context when he says things that are not true. Uh, You know, there, there, there are so many things that have been said by him that are not true that it it annoys you when you watch a news anchor that's that that just sort of skips over them. But at the same time, I think the idea that Anybody who voted for Trump, anybody who supported Trump is now completely, you cannot hear from this person anymore. And I've heard that from news organizations that say, well, our congressman voted to, uh, you know, against the results of the elect, against certifying the results of the election. So therefore, we cannot have them on our show anymore because they're, they're obviously, you know, against democracy. And it's like, no. Hundreds of thousands of people voted for that person. If you're saying you can never hear from that person, you're saying to all of those people your views are are irrational, unreasonable, and not allowed in a, in the public discourse. That's ridiculous to me. Like you, you have to you have to be able to have this conversation. You can't say just because you support Trump for whatever reason it may be that you're not allowed to be part of the discussion anymore because he says these things that are not true.
0: So you're going to platform election deniers, gentlemen. <laughs> no,
2: there's not. But that's how they would done, phrase it. <laughs> we. <laughs> yeah, i i I don't think it's I don't think it's black and white like that. And i and we haven't done that. We have not been platforming election deniers. I think we're just trying to have a conversation.
0: But you'd have on you'd have on a mainstream member of the Republican Caucus who is more statistically likely to have voted against certifying the last election. If they Look, were there, we've then
2: tr- we have tried to be very good about about bringing on people that are mo- a little bit more middle rather than the far left or the far right. By that, by that, by the way, you know, it, I'm I I think. That's the point of this show is to try to bring people that are a little bit more middle and more. I think, by the way, if you get to more geographically middle, you probably get a little bit more away from the extremes anyway, in many cases.
0: Yeah. Part of it is booking really good guests. So on your immigration uh, topic, which was, what are your concerns? And there were a bunch of people who were concerned as the uh, polling shows with the uptick in immigration. There was a bunch of people who were concerned with, maybe we're being too harsh. You had uh, a mayor of a border town, but you also had really just an excellent reporter who didn't rebut the legitimate concerns of everyone who was calling in. I hear that less and less. Yeah. Mary Sanchez, uh, Kansas City PBS, who's actually one of the
2: only the two, one of two people who've been on the show twice because she was in one of the pilot episodes. We met her, you know, a year ago and she was so fantastic. But yeah, she, she's she's a very thoughtful person. She's obviously thought a lot about this. She's the child of of a Mexican immigrant, but also um, she understands. She lives in the middle of Kansas and Missouri where there are a lot of people who disagree about this issue um, and feel very strongly about it. And I think that's a big part of it too, is like, I don't want to get two people who are sitting inside of a bubble in Berkeley um, to tell me that obviously anybody who thinks that we should shut the border is an idiot.
0: I would rather have somebody who understands that there is a debate about this. Yeah, and it it seems, it does blow my mind that that, like I called it, uh, radically unradical, but it does seem that in much of media, and I'm not talking about democracy now, I'm talking about perhaps the public radio that you you and I were both brought up in, that's much rarer than I would have thought it would be 10 years ago to take another segment. You did the, are our politicians too old segment? And (laughs) I think normally when you have that as a topic and I don't know, if this is true for a call-in show, but let's say a uh, Substack stack uh, took that on as a topic, or let's say a po- most podcasts that I listen to with a single host that don't have calls, wh- just to ask the question is to answer it. Are we living in a gerontocracy is how it would normally be phrased, and all the examples of all our old leaders would be trotted out and hands would be wrung. But right off the bat, you got a call from someone who is, I think, in her 60s, and she was like, no, what are you talking about? And that was the tone, I think, because either how you set it up or just your positioning as the middle or just because you were taking phone calls from a broader swath of people than whoever would be siloed for that uh, podcast or sub stack I was thinking about, it did, I think. well, you tell me, I think by the end, more people were on the side of, I don't think we're living in a autocracy.
2: Yeah. yeah. and and we had two guests in that that sort of tells the story i think of what we're trying to do we had the leading gerontologist in the country um who can give us the real details about as people get older does it you know it depends on the person whether they're too old to do the job or not too old to do the job and people are living longer and they're doing different things and it depends on how they live their lives and we also had pulitzer prize winning usa today Uh, political correspondent national political correspondent philip bailey who's based in louisville kentucky who is sort of on the ground of like this is what people think because the fact is when i posted that on my social media this is our topic this week i said are are our political leaders too old the most common answer i got was yes that was i just got a yes with an exclamation point it's like i want somebody who can bring that i don't want to just have two people who are going to say no, of course they're not too old. I want to have somebody who can understand the the concerns that are legitimate out there and look at the polling and say, we actually, a lot of people do think that not just Biden, but Trump and uh, Mitch McConnell and Nancy Pelosi, when she was in, are
0: too old. Um, but also, like, let's have a reasonable discussion about what that means and wh- what what does it mean to be too old? Do you think the reaction you got on social media is more indicative of the actual attitudes of people? Or do you think the reaction you get on a call-in show on public radio is more indicative? Because uh, each one has a demographic skew, I would posit.
2: Uh, see, I would say that the reaction I got on social media was because I'm uh, 41 and a lot of my friends are too, and they think that the the leaders are too old.
0: Right. But I, I also think that social media selects for more outrage and yes, radical opinions. Definitely. And if you look at the polling on this, well, yeah, people do think Biden is too old. And that may be true. But the idea of a gerontocracy is not a word I've ever heard a regular person use, but it's a word that I always see in online places.
2: Yeah. And I think this is another. this is another key point about this show. There are so many journalists now who are sitting in their offices. They never leave. They, they sit in their offices to do their reporting, and they look on Twitter and or, or whatever, and they say, oh, this is this is how I can tell what people think about what's going on, is just by looking at this. This model, where we are also asking regular people to tell us what they think is going on, has no algorithm involved. It is me putting out a phone number and or an email address or whatever and saying, call in, and then I have two call screeners who are answering the calls and deciding, like, this is the person that we're going to put forward or whatever. But there's no algorithm involved. It's not about how who's the most outrageous. In fact, it's the opposite of that. We're saying, like, let's get the
0: person that actually wants to have a reasonable discussion onto the show. But don't you think that a public radio call-in listener is going to be older and, and not politically, but just... um more conservative in terms of their comportment than a, a person who interacts on Twitter? So when we were pitching this show in the beginning to some stations, you know, because we had
2: to go and pitch this show to all of the, the stations. We're now on over 400 stations. We had to pitch the show to, to the the stations that are airing it. And some were like, well, the problem with call-in shows on public radio is that it's just going to be a bunch of old white liberals and that's it. We've not had that at all. In fact, we've had multiple high school students calling into the show uh, that have gotten onto the show. We've had a very diverse group of people calling and you heard the, the immigration show. I mean, it was people from all over different, different backgrounds, uh, different ethnicities. Um, it, I, we, I have found that it is not the case that a public radio call show. Now it could also be Mike, because the show is on at 9 PM, Eastern time, eight central, seven mountain.
0: So <laughs> you code switched for me. I saw in your press materials it says we're on at eight p.m. central time. Yeah, I am Like right, that's I the know. only show I've ever seen. I like to explicitly say. I like, to put, says central I like time. to put that
2: out there. Look, I grew up. I grew up in Illinois, where every show is like uh, that's nine eight central on CBS. Well, eight, now we're central and mountain eight central is first.
0: <laughs> so okay, so it also might be the time it airs. There might be a lot of things, but I do think that when we interact on social media, this is here, give me the uh, soapbox for a second. When we interact, we can say to ourselves intellectually, Twitter isn't real life. We can say to ourselves that, oh, we're getting, you know, 20, I think the statistics are 80% of America is not even on Twitter. And if you don't talk about Twitter. If you're talking about something else, they have all those demographic skews. So we say that to ourselves, but when we're in the middle of it, we react emotionally and it's hard to square what we know intellectually with how we're perceiving reality. And so many journalists, I guess so many people who are in the opinion business are on Twitter and interacting on social media so often that I really do think that those opinions are taken as the opinions. And maybe they're just the only opinions that matter. If what you're trying to do is grow your audience within those sectors. So, what your show is, is a reminder and a bit of a balm about just how different. And I think, yes, I will accept it is a public radio show. It's on 8 in the evening on 8 Central Time. But I do think it actually does point to the unreality of what not just Twitter, but the MSNBC and the more radicalized crowd um would lead us to believe. Then again, I'll throw this out there, maybe I'm just cherry picking for what I want to be true. Yeah, so so
2: here's here's another thing that that I think is important and you bring up MSNBC and like look, I, I over the years I've met a lot of people who work at these TV networks and I think they're great and like they do great work. But when you watch cable news for, you know, however many hours in the course of the day, you're gonna see the same people talking about the news all day long. They have like the same 10 pundits that get to decide you know get to tell us what we should think about every single thing. And by the way, as I've been listening to a lot of podcasts, they do the same thing. It's like this podcast is these two people talking about what's going on all the time. We've got different guests. You've got different guests on your show. We've got different guests. I think that is an important thing. is like let's get outside of just having the same people that get to talk about it all day long. not just the callers but also the guests. And let's go out and find different people. Give, you know, one of the things I say to my my team as we're as we're booking our guests every week, we have two panel guests on the show every week, is you know, I want not just not just to reflect racial and gender diversity, but also age diversity, geographic diversity, and ideological diversity. And oftentimes I'll say, Okay, well, we've got this professor, but is there one, is there somebody in the geographic middle of the country that we should be elevating here as opposed to this person that's at Yale or Stanford or something, even though they are, you know, seen as the most most impressive, best speaker on this topic. Let's try to give somebody else a voice here. And it's like Mary Sanchez, who we just had on on immigration. Um, you know, I, I like to do that kind of thing because I think it's important because a lot of the media, they're they're in their they're in their bubble and they go to the people that they know. And I get that, but it's also important, I think, to give voice to other people.
0: I think selecting for geographical diversity is unassailable, but when you get into selecting for ideological middleness, centrality, you do open yourself up to criticism. So how do you square those two th- uh, conflicting ideals?
2: Look, I think on on an issue like um let's see, on an issue like immigration, I I I don't want to have you know two guests on who think the same thing about what needs to happen and don't understand the other view. So like I, I think it's reasonable to say let's oh we're doing a, we're doing an episode about school choice next week, which is like vouchers you mm-hmm. know to take take public dollars and let people let parents use the money for private schools or whatever they're doing they're gonna, they're gonna go statewide in Louisiana. They've already sort of done this in Florida and Arizona and some other states. Um, and we have this great expert who is like the expert on school choice. But he is, you know, probably more against it than for it. And, and as we're looking around and talking to people who are the experts on school choice, a lot of them are like that. They, they're like, you know what, we've looked at it and it actually doesn't make sense. And I said, I really think we should have somebody who at least is a little more open to it because this is happening now. And one of the people that we have found said, look, I have my concerns about it, but honestly public schools are not working for all students right now. So we shouldn't be taking anything off the table. And I said, let's get that person because I, I want to actually look, I'm the child of public education. I love public education. I, I could completely understand people who think this is terrible to take public dollars away from public schools. But at the same time, I want somebody to, to tell me why, give me, make the case in a reasonable way of why school choice is good, because obviously that message is getting through to a lot of people in this country.
0: So when you have, oh, here's the expert's number one, two, or three, and they've concluded school choice or vouchers are mm, don't work or are do more harm than good. And then you go and get expert number I don't know what the rankings are, but not one, two, or three. Are you you are balancing things out, thus providing a middle, but are you doing your journalistic duty by presenting where the expertise is?
2: Yes, I think so. I think like the, you know, I'm not I'm not sitting here telling you this is what you need to think about this. I'm saying let me get some people in here that know what they're talking about, that are going to stick to the facts, but that are open to having this discussion with different views.
0: Other than the fact that all terrestrial radio listening has gone down, why do you think that public radio has lost listeners between podcasts and its terrestrial form in the last couple of years?
2: Uh, Look, I think there are a lot of reasons. I think that they would have you believe that the only reason is because everybody's um, habits shifted during the COVID pandemic. But I don't think that's true because people obviously still. Oh, and that fade
0: out that I've teased you with. Yes, people complain about that. But I got to say, public radio is going under the bus and you're missing it. We talk about that. You know who's not missing it? Pesca Plus subscribers. Who are they? They could be you. They're supporters of the show who are committed to paying a monthly subscription fee in order to keep the gist healthy and vibrant. And in exchange, they get additional conversations, certain uncut interviews. Not every interview uncut. We respect your time. Just the great ones, the ones where you might have said, I want to hear that. And we'll allow you to try it for free, for a week, for a limited time. Go to subscribe.mikepesca.com to sign up. And now the spiel. It's been almost 150 years since a cabinet secretary was impeached. That'd be William Belknap, U.S. Grant Secretary of War, a position that has at least been rebranded. In the meantime, there have been several tries, mostly of the attempt to garner attention variety. Some more well-known cabinet secretaries who've been subject to impeachment resolutions, hearings, or the threat thereof, have been Andrew Mellon, Francis Perkins, and Donald Rumsfeld. New York Democrat Charlie Rangel and others didn't like Rumsfeld's handling of the war in Iraq. But that, my friends, is not grounds for impeaching a cabinet secretary, as the House seems to forget whenever there's a cabinet secretary they don't like or a point they think can be made. Today, we heard from Tennessee Republican Mark Green, chair of the House Homeland Security Committee, finding a founder to cite in his effort to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas. We're here because our oath and duty compel us to be here. The actions and decisions of Secretary Mayorkas have left us with no other option than to proceed with articles of impeachment. To quote Madison once again, Perhaps the greatest danger of abuse in the executive power lies in the improper continuance of bad men in office. We cannot allow this man to remain in office any longer. Interestingly, Mark Green was the name of the Anthony Edwards character in ER, and in real life, this Mark Green was, before becoming a politician, an ER physician. Isn't that interesting? I have no idea what that means. I do know that New York Democrat Dan Goldman threw the James Madison point back in the man's face. You quoted James Madison as saying that the impeachment clause is designed to remove bad men in office. But notably, the impeachment clause is not designed to remove bad policy from the office, and the definition of bad men, as Professor Pearlstein said, is an individual who abuses his power for personal gain. It has never, ever, there's never been an impeachment in the history of the United States where someone has been impeached for something other than the abuse of power for purposes outside of his official duties. The points raised by the Republicans at this meeting over and over again were that they don't like the job that Alejandro Mayorkas is doing as the Director of Homeland Security. He is not securing the border, they say. They also sometimes noted they didn't like the things that Mayorkas was saying. They allege that Mayorkas lied to them. Among the lies that he denied doing a terrible job, they'd have liked him to admit he's not doing his job. Here, Republican Representative Michael Guest of Mississippi makes that case.
1: I can document at least six times where he has repeatedly lied when asked, "Is the border secure?" I look at headlines and pulled a few this morning regarding Secretary Mayorkas. You for a question? I will not. Mayorkas tells Congress the southern border is secure. DHS Chief Mayorkas said there is no border crisis. Homeland Security Secretary Mayorkas tells lawmakers the border is not open. Mayorkas says the border is closed, defends Biden's immigration strategy.
0: But Guest, seeking to buttress his allegation that the border is open, trotted out a stat
1: you don't believe that, just look at the statistics put out by his department. In the last six months, Mr. Chairman, we have seen 1.9 million encounters
0: across the entire northern and southern border. Right. That's 1.9 million more law enforcement contacts than there would be if there were an open border, which means that it wouldn't be against the law to cross it. What guessed... And all the other Republicans were saying is that they don't like the results of Mayorkas' efforts or the intensity of his efforts or the sincerity of his efforts. But that's not a grounds for impeachment. That's a grounds for adopting, say, other better policies. They literally admitted this in the presentation of Marjorie Taylor Greene, who said, we need to resort to the extra legislative remedy of impeachment because we can't get our preferred legislation passed.
1: In its 2023 ruling in United States versus Texas, the Supreme Court left the House of Representatives with little choice, little choice, but to pursue impeachment articles against Secretary Mayorkas. The 5-4 majority did not address the Secretary's policies and mandates on the merits, but simply ruled the states did not have the standing to challenge them. Instead, the justices wrote that Congress has political tools available to push back on these policies. The only one that makes sense in the current political environment is impeachment. Remember, Democrats have completely rejected H.R. 2, our strongest security bill for our border.
0: I generally hate to quote Marjorie Taylor Greene, but as she often does there, she was making the point of her critics for them. The entire hearing was an entirely partisan, entirely predictable affair. It included criticisms, many roll call votes, recriminations, a large blow up picture of an alligator, many, many mentions of Donald Trump, a colloquy investigating who you're calling Hitler, and this barnyard aphorism supplied by Democratic Rep Dina Titus.
1: And as uh, Mr. Higgins will know, he's a fellow uh, Southerner, I think another saying, uh, appropriately, describes what's going on here, and that's just shoveling the same old shit and calling it sugar.
0: Depending on your sense of injustice or just maybe your sense of smell, there was enough of each of those substances to cause diabetes or sepsis, but certainly not enough for an actual case, a bona fide case arguing for impeachment and removal under the law. And that's it for today's show. Corey War is the producer of The Gist, and Joel Patterson is the senior producer. Collectively, they're called the Quaint Mallards. Not in that group, but assisting, in fact, operating fervently to advance The Gist's special projects is Michelle Pesca. To advertise on The Gist, go to advertisecast.com slash The Gist. Thank you for listening.